I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Hey there, freedom seekers. Ever wonder about the hero that lives inside of you, ready to conquer the business world? Well, if you've been listening to our show for a while, then you know that we love exploring hero myths and using them to better understand our own heroic journeys. I wanted to make these stories even more actionable for you, so we built a way for you to uncover your business superpowers, avoid potential pitfalls, and see your entrepreneurial journey in a whole new light. Ready to discover your business owner hero type? Check out the show notes or head over to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash quiz to take our free quiz and learn which heroic energy you embody in your business. It only takes a few minutes and it's free. Your heroic journey awaits. I'm so excited to be doing this. I really am. I feel like I had you on my podcast and we went all over the place on your story, but I'm really excited to talk about this one specific overarching theme, which is the zone of genius, which with the work that I've been doing with you, you've been helping me hone in on what that is more and more. But first, before we get into all my millions of questions on Zone of Genius, can you explain what the Zone of Genius even is? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just such a useful concept for people to even grasp or understand that there is such a thing. People have probably heard about it a lot. I know our listeners are probably very interested in self-help and personal development and self-discovery. And Zone of Genius is something that shows up a lot. The book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks talks all about Zone of Genius. Pretty sure that they created it there, but there are a lot of different people who talk about the concept that is Zone of Genius. And I also like talking about it in terms of the word ikigai, which is sometimes thrown around as well. I've never heard that word. I've just recently heard that it might be like a bastardized version of this word, but the, but it's the idea of, if you think about the Venn diagram between what you really love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can get paid for and where all of those overlap is your ikigai or your zone of genius. So it's this area where you're, I mean, you're really alive because you're really interested in what you're doing and it's overlapping with your skills because you've spent time developing those and maybe even some of your talents like that you came equipped with in this form, so to speak. But then you're also doing that in service of not just what other people are finding financially valuable, but also like what the world needs as a whole. And so Gay Hendricks talks about zone of genius as being like, just where you're, where things are like really effortlessly easy for you and also incredibly valuable for the world, as opposed to any draws a distinction between that and the zone of excellence, say where, where you're really good at things, but it's not so effortlessly easy for you. And it doesn't really feel like you're coming alive when you're living in your zone of excellence. What a great answer. And I actually, this wasn't even part of my prep questions for you, but I was thinking about this this morning in the shower, AKA the most glorious place to come up with like great questions, but what comes first being good at something or liking something? 
Because I feel like the things that you tend to like and gravitate towards and come alive are the things that you're good at, but it takes having tried them to know if you're good at them or not. So it's like, what comes first, liking it or being good at it? And then you obviously get better at it because you like it. So you do it more. So you get better at it. And it's like a cycle. But what comes first for the one that's listening that wants to live in that zone of genius? Yeah, I think that this is such an interesting question that you're asking. I, I love where I'd like for us to go with this too, is talking about like, kind of how do we start to play more and more in our zone of genius? But the idea being that I like this idea of like flavors, like because we all have flavors that we're drawn to or whatever. And sometimes we develop our palate over time, right? Like most people who like beer didn't start liking beer, right? And it mm-hmm. takes like s- some exposure to actually start liking beer. So I think the answer to your question is that we come equipped, like hardwired with certain preferences and tastes, and we can develop other ones over the course of our lives, just like the love of beer or whatever. But I think that following what we have always liked to do is a good clue into what these zone of genius things are. If you look at like doing reflection, I was just in a workshop with one of my other clients today. Oh, that, that love notes to self workshop. It's, it was so beautiful. Oh, but one nice. of the, yeah. One of the exercises was to like kind of interface with your child self. It was like a really meditative thing. And that's, it was so useful for me to connect. A, I never, I don't do that (laughs) hardly ever. But then to think back on like, what were the things about yourself as a child that you really loved? You asked this question a lot in the active ingredient podcast, like how, how did you show up as a, as a child? And I think that that gives us clues a lot of times to things that we came hardwired with and that we love. So I, I do think that the, the, what we love part comes first. Even if we then choose to expose ourselves to beer, like over time, right? Well, we chose that for some reason. Maybe we wanted, we wanted to be a beer liker or we, you know, we wanted to be the kind of person who could go out and talk about beer or something like that. And so that would give us the motivation to then develop the, the quote unquote skill or even the enjoyment of that experience. So. I love this. And so I think that's something that's really valuable to a lot of high achievers or just people that are looking to operate in a more kind of fulfilled and aligned way is figuring out how to build a life in which you can really be living and only living in your zone of genius. And I have had a lot of, I'm still nowhere near operating and living only in my zone of genius, but I have had kind of like these limiting beliefs of like, well, in the zone of excellence, like I still am not at a place in my business where I can only operate in zone of genius. So I operate in zone of excellence and in genius. Is there kind of like a roadmap or something that you can kind of walk us through on how once you've identified, because I think I have identified some areas of which my zone of genius are in, how to get there. Cause it's not kind of like you snap your fingers and then all of a sudden you're like, that's it. I'm a one man show. And all of a sudden I'm only doing this. No one's doing accounting. No one's doing bookkeeping. No one's doing pitching. No one's doing all these things because I'm only networking. Cause that's my zone of genius. Like how do we get there? Yeah. And I think this is a great question. I spend a lot of time thinking about this question as well as you might guess. And I think that there's a lot of talk out there where you're just like, oh, just like find what you love to do and do only what you love to do. And then you'll never work a day in your life. And the sense that I get is that some people almost experience shame in not being able to do that or not being able to find that. And there's like some kind of story that you're like, you know, you're not enough or you just like haven't cracked the code if you haven't done that or whatever. But I, I don't think a lot of people talk about this idea of like earning the freedom to do only what you love. And I do believe that like to get yourself to the level and uh, look, this is my personal story. Maybe Gay Hendricks would have a completely different answer to this. But my personal story is that 
I do think that it takes one, the willingness to continue to try to live in your zone of genius and to like continue to hone and refine your understanding of not just what you love and not just what you're good at, but again, what the world will pay you for in that. Because that's where I really like this Ikigai concept is that it pulls in that piece of it is like, how can you actually get financially compensated? Because we have to figure that out if we want to be able to pay people to do the accounting and the bookkeeping and all the other stuff where that's their zone of genius. And we can then contribute to them living in their life's work and like what's really meaning to them. Because there, there are actually people who really enjoy that stuff, though. It's not it's so far from my personal experience that like whenever I find them, I'm like, wow, it is amazing to me <laughs> that you are that way. You no, know? this but, is one of those things that like in the work that I've done with you that has blown my mind is that people really exist and operate and are so happy in details, in lists, in format and things that are just like so opposite to my brain, but that they're genuinely like the fiber of their being loves it. And in their world, their ideal world, they're doing that all day long. That's such a different way of operating than the norm and hiring in a way that's so opposite from the norm that like it's refreshing. It's nice. And since it is not the norm, I could see why there's a hard, like there's resistance. Like in the beginning when we were working together, it only took me until like a few months ago when I hired someone in that zone of genius because I was resistant. Well, totally. And then, so here's the flip side of it too. As you know, I love thinking about things in ways that make them easier to, for us to like digest or to use, put into practice. But if you think about that, if what we just said is true, which I have found this to be my experience, and it sounds like you're starting to find this to be your experience as well, that there are people who they do love the things that you don't love doing, right? And that that is their zone of genius. And they do wish that they could spend their every day in that zone of where they're playing. For every activity that you're doing that is in their zone of genius, but not yours. So like you're you're miserable because one thing is not only is are you then spending time out of your own zone of genius, but you're also now probably taking a lot longer because you're not in your zone of genius to do those same things. So you're spending a large proportion of your time doing those things, but then you're also preventing that person in some like group collective way from being able to, from having the opportunity, you're like denying them an opportunity to work in their zone of genius more often in their lives. Right. And so we're actually kind of like actively taking actions against not just ourselves, but against other people who we could all be working together because we have a, a global network of people who really like doing various different things and who really come alive when they're doing various different things. And so I love thinking about that. And I love like encouraging people to think about it. In the vein of encouraging people to do that and knowing that I was resistant at first, is there, and what you've seen in your practice, like kind of like that first step where you can start to trust it. Because now that I had this coordinator position be in that realm and like really focus on the things that she's really good at, which was an easier kind of like, putting my toe in that world because it wasn't that big of a financial commitment. It was more kind of like flexible on how that contract was structured. Are there specific roles within businesses that you think, or that you've seen be like the ones that really help people wrap their head around like, Oh shit, like this actually does work like this. And it's not that scary to go with that role first. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about particular roles, although I, I'd say that there's probably some, some guidelines for which role you choose in your business first. But I do want to notice that you, you said something that I think is useful is like that allowed you to dip your toe in because we do live in a global economy where there are enough people out there trying to make their own way, doing what they love as well, that you might not need a full time accountant for your business. Now, at a certain, at a certain, level of business at a certain development of business, we do need like that CFO, the the accountants and bookkeepers who are like 
who would only work on the business because there would be enough work to do that. But before you get to that point, you might not have a full-time role, something where somebody could make their entire living just from working in your business. And that's okay because, we, again, we live in a global economy where they can be doing that thing for several different projects or whatever. Like your question is, what roles do we start to allow people to tap into the, that zone of genius thinking and like delegation thinking? Which, by the way, I prefer the word enrolling to delegating. Like, again, we're enrolling someone into playing in our business or in our world in the way that they most love to play for themselves as well. I love that distinction. Yeah, totally. I love that distinction because one of them plays to and feeds into that like insecurity that I feel with the word delegate of like, well, I'm not doing, I'm not doing enough because I've like passed it off to someone else. And it's like, no, that's the wrong way to think about it. Like you are empowering and rolling someone to do the thing that they, their active ingredient, the thing that they're really freaking good at so that you can also empower yourself to do the thing that you're really good at. It's not like you're just throwing and passing the baton to someone else. Totally. It's empowerment. Yeah. The idea with the word delegation, which I, I, I has really never landed well with me is this idea that like, okay, this is the way I think most people think about delegation. Okay. I have to be really good at it and know how to do it well enough that I can pass off exactly what to do to somebody else. And it's like, that's, we're missing the whole boat on the zone of genius thing there. Like, imagine that there's already someone out there who they know how to do it. They, they, they know all the shortcuts. They know all the efficiencies. They're really like, it's easy and quick or quicker for them to do these things than it is for you to do these things. So to, to have this idea that you need to know how to do it better than they do in order to delegate it off to them just gets in the way of the whole system, as opposed to thinking of what you're talking about. Like, okay, I am really good at these things. How can I get the other things that I'm, that aren't me living in my zone of genius and providing my highest value contribution to the world? How do I get these things off my plate and onto someone whose plate they really, it's their favorite flavor. It's their, their beer that they enjoy or whatever. Right. So you don't think that at any level, it is important to understand, like there's so many like companies or company cultures that like, they really instill knowing every part of the business that they're like, you know, even like from a corporate level to like working at the restaurant, I'm thinking of like a McDonald's, you know, like mm -hmm. knowing, knowing every part of the business so that like when you're speaking to someone there, you can empathize or you, you can really relate or understand, or also even know the value of the work. What's the line of like being so blind. Cause like if I hire someone to do something that I have absolutely no idea how long it takes, what to expect, nothing. And I'm just like blindly saying, okay, you're in your zone of genius. I have no idea what this actually does or, you know, like I'm going to have you educate me on what it is, but I'm kind of just trusting you blindly. I can mm -hmm. see there being fear and resistance there. So what are your thoughts on that? Totally. What a great question. Because what I'm not advocating for is ignorance necessarily. Like I, like that McDonald's model of working in all the different, I think that's McDonald's of working in all those different roles and understanding what they are. I think that's useful but what they're not doing is being expected to like actually deliver the maximum level of value in each one of those roles, but to rather stumble along and try to figure out and also for, for operationalizing. So again, the, you know, when we're, when we first start businesses, we are scrappy and we are doing whatever has to happen in order. We're like able to pivot and address market opportunities and we're able to like change things. And as businesses get more and more established, they tend to systematize more and more so that the pieces get more solidified. And so what starts off as like a very fluid and scrappy early stage business then becomes like a well-defined corporate structure. 
in later businesses, like, and so there tends to be more bureaucracy, more paperwork, things like that, that like checks and balances to kind of keep the system as it has been, which is like both a really good thing for businesses because it allows them to like grow and expand and scale and also can be a challenge for businesses because they can get stuck in the way that things have been in the past and not have that fresh entrepreneurial eye. Anyway, all of this is a long-winded way of saying the idea of understanding how your business works and what is going on in all the different places, I think is really a useful framework. But the idea that you have to be the best one at that role to do it before you can pass it off to somebody else, that's just not useful because then every moment you're spending, because it's not, we can learn skills, right? But every moment that you're spending learning a skill is a moment that you're not spending honing and refining a, a skill and adding more value to the world in that way. So I think that's kind of like one way of thinking about the trade-offs there. It'd be like for your business, really understanding what are the outcomes that we're looking to produce with this role. So like take the accounting example, right? So like we, we want to you know, maximize our tax benefits. We want to really make sure that we have financial plans that help us to develop and grow over time and understand our bottom line and make sure that the business stays humming. But the best practices on all of that, like I could go in and do the bookkeeping or whatever, the accounting, I could like educate myself on the best practices or the way. But honestly, unless I love the numbers and I love doing the books, I'm probably never going to be like thinking about it in my off time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because the moments that I'm spending in that, I'm just like winding up tired and drained. That makes perfect sense. The, the reason I asked yesterday, I walked into this yoga studio. I just became a yoga instructor, like it, which honestly it does tie to all my zone of genius with my agency, with my podcast, all of it. It all really is in one thing. And part of what that zone of genius is, I just, I want to start teaching I, like immediately. I literally walked into this yoga studio that's right here. And she, I, the owner was there. It was really, I, I had no plan of really going in there. I just thought, and I was like, fuck it. Can I curse in here? Yeah, I was like, whatever, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna walk in and ask. And I walked in, the owner was there. I was like, hi, I'm Sophie. I just graduated on Friday as a yoga instructor and I want to teach. And she was like, oh, amazing. I'm actually looking for yoga instructors. So that's perfect. What's your flexibility? Like, are you able to also work the front desk? And in my mind, I was like, I mean, first of all, ego, like was like front desk, like, you know, and then I was ego checked and I was like, whatever, fuck it. Like if it's, if it's the front desk and that means that I get to teach yoga, which is what I really feel fulfilled doing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So I was like, let me think about it. I also have an agency and a podcast. So I don't, time is like, you know, a thing, but in my mind after I was like, well, it's really valuable. Also, if for whatever reason, one day I want to open my own yoga studio, I have no idea how to run operations in a yoga studio. So if I worked front desk, I could maybe learn just like high level what that looks like. But now that we had this conversation, I'm like, well, how much of my time do I want to allocate to that learning period? Mm -hmm. When I know that that's not my zone of genius, I know that working a front desk is not my zone of genius because of a lot of operation stuff that I've already done work on figuring out what is and what isn't. However, in that specific business, I don't understand it yet. So like, what would you say, what is the line of like, wanting to learn high level and then getting back into your zone of genius? A, I think people are going to figure that out for themselves. But B, I think you, you, you already answered the question. You said, I don't know how it works in this business yet. So like operationally, I don't understand how the yoga business is set up yet. So it sounds to me and check me on this, but it sounds to me like you're saying, well, as soon as I learn enough about the business that I could start my own yoga business, I feel like I could start my own business. Then that sounds like a natural time when the training period would end. I ask for the audience because I'm like, yeah. if, like, you know, like, is there 
something to look out for, which I guess is like, if you feel like you know as much as you need to know, you know, or you know the roles to hire for, or like what within that system that you may already have inklings on what's not your zone of genius, like, what have you confirmed? You know, like, what are the Mm -hmm. things that people can look out for to be like, okay, it's time. Yeah. And I think, I think asking that question and realizing like, as soon as you no longer want to do it, you, you can hear the willingness that you have, right, to do it. And you're like, yeah, I know that wouldn't be my zone of genius, but I, I could see the value in it. I'd be willing to do it, and especially in exchange for being able to teach the yoga or whatever, right? And by the way, getting paid to learn is a brilliant model in the world, right? Like, so you get to like show up and really learn the ins and outs of a business while getting paid. And it's not probably going to pay the same way that it would to do your agency or to do any of the other things that you might do, right? But you're still getting paid to learn. And so it's like, you're you're not having like a loss, maybe an opportunity cost, but you're not ha- having just an, a loss to learn. So I think that's really a useful thing. And then being aware, checking in with yourself. Am I still learning here? Am I still getting what I wanted to? How often do you do those check-ins with yourself? And then I wonder also for like companies that have gotten to that level of scale, like the McDonald's example that we've done, have you seen in larger businesses of like what works to make sure that you're not only you're scaling, but you're also making sure that you are completely, uh, what was the word that we said instead of uh, delegate? Enrolling. Enrolling people in a way that you're continuing to bring team members in their zone of genius. Like how often are you doing those check-ins on a personal and like a mass level? Yeah. Well, so I do think that the game starts to be different when we're talking about like bigger organizational structures. Cause like when we're talking yeah. about like one to 10 person businesses where you're really the leader and you're making the decisions and everything, I'd be less interested in like setting a timeline for how often to check in than I would be for like just becoming aware of like practicing mindfulness of what is my current experience and noticing when I start to slip into when we're losing that kind of awakeness and aliveness, that active ingredient in ourselves, then we just like, we're not operating at our highest and most useful, right? So no, just becoming aware and spending time in our internal landscape, just in general, I think this is a really useful practice for human beings to start to become aware of our thoughts and our feelings and the state of being that we're in, which can happen physiologically, like our posture and our breathing. And yeah, right. <laughs> shake it out for those yeah. listening. Just like take a moment and shake it out. Exactly. Yeah. Just like feel, feel how you're standing and feel like your emotional state is one way or your affect. Like what, what, what are the sensations that you're noticing in your body around how you're feeling? And if we start to slip into an unresourceful state, not great. Now's the time to check in. Is this really serving me? Could something else be serving me? Now, the question about for bigger corporations, I think the reason that things get systematized in, so we do things like quarterly check-ins or annual check-ins so that we don't miss them. And because we're dealing with a lot of different people, so coordinating when the check-in happens for everyone, it's just, again, the more structured we have, the more reliable we know that the system is going to run. I guess if I was running a big agency or corporation, like I would want, because I feel like each team could be like, you know, even on a mass corporation level, like actual teams are like three to four people within a larger corporation. Mm-hmm. So within three and four people, like how our businesses are under 10 people right now, you can just operate with that mindset. Like within those dynamics, how can you ensure that everyone is operating as close to their zone of genius as possible? Even totally. if it's like that small team within a bigger team. Yeah. And I think that we have some some rethinking to do because corporations, they get to be corporations by being around for a long time. That's like really how they start to become so refined and 
bureaucratized or whatever anyway, but where they get like really structured and rigorous. And so, you know, a lot of the corporations, yes, we have new corporations, but like corporate structure has been around for a while and was kind of created the way that it is right now. And it's been around for a long time, not taking into account the internet has changed things in ways that we can't even, we haven't even caught up to, right? Because the, the fact that you can connect with every other person on the planet directly at any time mm-hmm. changes what a role means in a business. Because if we used to have like you, everything used to be local, right? You'd have to have from your local environment, from the, from the people who could make it there in a day, you'd have to be able to get all of the needs of your business met, right? And have people be willing to, to show up for their whole days because they're, they're not going right. to six different places maybe, right, to work. And so the very nature of the internet has changed that because now I can go from this call on one side of the world to another call on the completely other side of the world and provide value in each of those calls or for each of those businesses back to back, which would never have been able to happen in the traditional corporate structure. So a lot of these things I think ha- have not caught up to the new world, but we will see shifts in the not too distant future, because I mean, this is what decentralization means, right? Like this is all the um, NFTs and like, like Bitcoin, like the cryptocurrencies and what they're really like capitalizing on is this like decentralized structure, which is what the internet has really enabled us to access. And I think where our politics are going to catch up, I think our school systems are going to catch up. I think our businesses are going to catch up. And if they don't, they'll be left behind because this decentralized, the nature of the internet has just changed everything. We're not going back. I totally agree. On a practical level, if someone's listening and they're like, okay, wow, like I want to dip my toes in this type of mentality on how I want to build my business. Are there resources or any kind of way that you would advise someone or like an actual next step? Like if it's Fiverr or if it's like, where are you finding these like very specialized talent? If there's anything practical that we can have our listeners just do from here. The answer is really going to depend on where you're at in your business, because I think, and I think it's Fiverr, uh, but uh, I think oh. like, because <laughs> you're spending a five spot, you know what I mean? On, on, uh. on work, right? So you can get like really affordable people to do for, to trade on this like project by project, like a gig economy. And that's what it, Fiverr is just like a, it's like a hub of the findings people to do. Oh, I need, have a graphic that I need to design. And so you can get it done usually for like 20 to a hundred bucks, depending on what you're, you're working on. And that's great. And you, then you'll have a lot of like ironing. So as you dip your toe into this, my invitation to you would be to get really clear about what's the outcome that you're looking for. Like what's the, what's the specific thing? Like how would you know if it was created in the world? Not how does it get created? So that's the distinction that I would encourage people to think between rather than like your job as the business owner is the why and the what. Then as the contractor, they're responsible for the how. But in order for them to maximize their how and their ability to like show up and do the thing, and again, for you to enroll them in it, the clearer you can get on why you want to do the thing or why you want this thing done and what done looks like. Like, what does it actually look like in the world? Not like a good graphic, right? Because that's subjective. Think like what would be able to be proven in a court of law or what, what's like an objective standard for what success would look like. I want a podcast recorded that is like published to these seven platforms and has this length show notes, which target these keywords, right? That's, that's how being very specific about what we want done. And then, you know, I've got my whys for audience building and for contribution to the world and all that stuff. And then I can give that to the contractor who can then go about what they do best, their how, which is getting those things done. 
Excellent answer. I love outcome mentality. It's helped Mm -hmm. me so, so, so much. And actually when I brought on my contractor, which is my kind of like version of dipping my toe, I explained to her the why, what her contribution means to the business and exactly how I would define success via outcomes and what those outcomes were. And she literally was like, you do the work. She's like, I know that you do the work. I know that like, you haven't even told me that you work with a coach, but I know that you do because of, she's like, I've never had an onboarding so clearly defined and it has shown with the outcomes of what she's produced for me. So I'm excited to dip my toe even more in this. I'm curious, two questions, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like they, they go kind of like hand in hand. What is the difference between zone of excellence and zone of genius? And at what point do you feel in the growth? Is it when you really start to build teams more and more like business size or like revenue is so dependent on the person and their own goals and Mm -hmm. why and how they're doing their business. But like, is there kind of just like a mentality or something that you could give us as like a, oh, red or not even red flag, but just like a flag to look out for of like, this might be a good time to start thinking of having someone be a specialist in zone of excellence so that I can be even in more zone of genius? The first question in zone of excellence versus zone of genius, I think, is the distinction between like just what you're good at, just that one, what you're good at and what the world will pay you for. Those two circles, that's like your zone of excellence. But where it's what you're good at, what the world will pay you for and what you what you f- are find really enjoyable and or effortless to do, that's where we're like really talking about the zone of genius stuff. So like, it's the things that you would be spending your time doing, even if you weren't getting paid for it, right? Like just like this kind of a conversation for you and I, like it is that kind of a thing, right? But for some people, they would not want to do this at all and it would freak them out, right? Or they would have whatever, they just don't like it. They would maybe rather be doing numbers or something like that, right? I think that's the first distinction. And the second distinction as, as to when to start to ask this. Well, first, if we're talking about businesses, revenue is like number one, most important. That's the lifeblood of a business. So Getting your business to a place where it has a consistent revenue, but B revenue that you can rely on. Once you've like really got your revenue engine and you like, you can trust that even if all of your revenue right now were to end, you would be able to go create more revenue. That's, I think, a a really useful kind of framework for holding this in your mind. And then the other consideration is like, when are you getting to the point where you actually like, you can no longer do more of the thing that you're the very best at because you're spending your time doing other things? If only I had, you know, a little bit more engine and get like gasoline in the tank, so to speak, to get this thing done today, I would be able to do a little bit more of my zone of genius work. But I'm just Mm -hmm. so busy with all of these other things that I literally I'm trying to find a place to put in my zone of genius work and I'm out I'm capped out. That's a really useful time to say like, hey, cool. What's taking the most time up for me that is not my zone of genius is it cool? How can I find somebody that might love to do that? And start asking around. Like we talked about Fiverr, but also you can, I mean, just ask around, check in with your network. Does anybody else know somebody who loves to do this kind of thing? There's Upwork, there's Fiverr, there's, I'm sure there's plenty more, but there's like, there's like Facebook groups where they're dedicated to just one kind of activity. And so like really look around and find those things. So many, I have like so many more questions of zone of genius, but I know that we're getting towards the end. I do want to ask something that is related to zone of genius, but it's also just related to breaking old thought patterns and belief systems that just don't work for us. Mm -hmm. Cause I can't be alone in this feeling of feeling like when I cross things off my to-do list that were a little bit harder for me, like proposals take me longer. And so like when I cross them off, I'm like, I did a really hard thing today. So I feel productive having Mm -hmm. done that. 
And when I've been like dabbling into being in zone of genius, when I'm like having all these new business meetings, doing podcasts, doing these things that are high impact, but feel so easy to me because they are in my zone of genius. At the end of the day, I feel like I was not productive. I was effective and impactful and not productive. So I'm like, oh, did I even do anything? Right. What do you say to that on how to shift out of that mentality? Uh, I love this question so much. Yeah. How, do, how can we, how can we like shift out of that and prove to ourselves that no, like actually that is maximum productivity, impact, effectiveness, like convince me on that, please. Because like I'm totally. in that zone right now. And I think that we could also have like an entire podcast that's just on this topic, right? Just this one sliver of this topic, because it is, there's so much to talk about here because we understand that we're working against the cognitive bias of the curse of knowledge. Like we don't understand how easy it is for us to do the things that we've really cultivated a, a skill at over the time of our lives, especially the things that we really enjoy that we've cultivated a skill at, right? So we don't, we don't properly value them because we don't understand how other people might look on and say, gosh, I wish I could do that that way or that easily or whatever, or that effectively. So that's, that's something to understand is going on in the psychology of this, this topic of productivity and like what being productive means in the world, I think is something else that's really going on here because we live in a culture that really like fetishizes the grind, the hustle and grind and the, you know, like working myself to the bone and all this stuff. And it's like, what are you producing? Being productive, right? We talk about being productive as though it's the end in it and in and of itself. Whereas really productive is based on producing something. So what do you want to be producing? Do you want to be producing quote unquote hard work in the world? Or do you want to be producing value? And so another area of this, this conversation is really like this, cause this is what the zone of genius is all about. It's like, what's the valuable thing that you love doing that you're good at in the world? Because if we're producing hard work, like you can work really hard. And the example that I always give is like digging a hole, like you can dig a hole with a shovel, right. And work really hard, but the hole doesn't get dug any more holy than if you used a backhoe, right. It just takes you a lot more time to do it. You could do it with a spoon too, and it would take you a ton more time than it did with a shovel. Right. So, but what we're, if what we're trying to produce is a, is a hole, right. Maybe we're building a swimming pool, right. It, then it's not, it's not like that, that hole gets any more valuable because it took us six months to produce than it did to take it. To, to, if we got a backhoe for an afternoon and dug the hole then, right. It doesn't right. get any more valuable, but that's the story where we're fetishizing the hardness of the work, but the value of the work has never been in how hard it was. It was always in the, the end value, the, per, what the it outcome. produced in the world. Yeah, exactly. The outcome. So, okay. I, I feel like I know all of these things mm -hmm. and still though, and I guess this is part of like the neurobiology of it all, but mm -hmm. like, I still feel knowing this, like I'm very, like, I literally have been working with you for a long time. Like I, I know this, I know it. And I'm still having a hard time feeling I gave it my all mm. because what I did in the day all felt so easy. So like, what are some like practical things that are either, I don't know if it's like mantras mm. or like ways to check in to like reinforce and like remind yourself, like, no, you actually were even more productive. Like you, you came in with like the big, what's that big shovel, whatever you the came in with yeah. that uh -huh. instead of like working with the spoon. Like what are some practical things that we can either ask ourselves mantras to remind us if it's like to check things off, like if that's the thing that we have to like replace, like what is that thing that we can do at the end of the day? Awesome. So this is such a great question. And again, I think it's a topic that could be its own podcast because there's just a lot going on here. You're, what you're feeling is that like working against your habits and your patterns. 
So one is recognizing that mental change takes time because we're just dealing with organic tissue. And so we need to make new neural connections in our brains. And that takes just practice repetition. That's how neurons get formed mm -hmm. is through repetition. So yes, mantras and affirmations, like for instance, the value of work is not in its difficulty. It's in the value of it. And just repeating that to yourself and thinking about that. Right. But another way to conceptualize this for yourself would be to like, think about the things on the other side. So we're, we're talking about producing right now, but what about receiving when you're purchasing, think about what you're valuing about things. So as you like go through your day and like maybe every time you exchange money, ask yourself, is what I'm valuing right now, how hard the person across from me that I'm buying this from is working or is what I'm valuing something else? And if so, what am I valuing? And just really start to acquaint yourself with it. Like start to think in terms of value rather than effort, okay? And do this again and again throughout your day, like practice, like just, you know, think about the last 10 purchases that you made and ask yourself, like, did it, was it better for me that purchase because the person worked hard or would I have valued it the exact same amount if they hadn't worked hard at all, but produced the exact same outcome for me or given me the exact same product or whatever, right? Like think about to make it like another kind of analogy that'll help it to be a little bit clearer. Like if you think about mass produced things, like I, I have this water bottle. I love this water bottle so much. It's so sturdy and it's like, it, you know, it's got a handle and it's got a lid and it's really useful for me. But honestly, like probably very little human effort went into this, right? A machine, machines made hundreds of, if not thousands of these things. It's not better for me because of like, how many people worked on it or how much effort was put on. It's valuable because it's a sturdy, reliable water bottle that does all the things that I want the water bottle to do. And it doesn't matter if it came out of a, a replicator like Star Trek style, right? Or if some craftsperson like painstakingly rolled it all up, it's, I'm not going to spend $6,000 probably on a water bottle because somebody lovingly crafted. Now, maybe people, people would value that, but then what they'd be, what they're really valuing is that they want people in the world to be living a life like that, right? Or, exactly. or that they want the status of having a water bottle that's a $6,000 water bottle that's handcrafted, right? And so then if, again, the question would be, if I could still get the same status without all that hard work, would I value it the same way, right? Like, so what are, what am I actually valuing, valuing about things? And think of it from a consumer side, not just a producer side so that we can really start to acquaint ourselves with it. Make sense? Oh, makes perfect sense. Is there anything else that you want to say before we close out? No, I think this has been a really great conversation and just uh, encouraging people to think this way is really useful. Like just remember, we have a global network of human beings. And so it's possible. It's possible for you to find your zone of genius, to carve out your quote unquote niche and find what's alive in you. And the way that the way that, that overlapping of what you love what you're good at and what people will pay for is possible for you. So I just like really want to leave people with that, that sense of possibility. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.